Yeah, I think that's super nice. One of the things that's been a common theme on the podcast is startup businesses, they automatically assume that other business owners won't give you the time. But successful people, biggest thing they enjoy is helping other people yeah, and bringing yeah. them up. Hey guys, welcome back for another episode of Founder Stories. Today, I am joined by the very talented Mr. Rob Palmer. He's the head chef and owner at Toff's Restaurant in Solihull. He's also achieved in his career, well, lots really. I was doing a bit of research this morning and there's lots already. It's going to be a super exciting episode. He's achieved a Michelin star. He was the head chef at the Hampton Manor for seven years, I believe before setting up your own restaurant. Toffs is in the heart of Solihull. I've been there myself. Uh, I can attest to the fact that it is, if not the best, one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming down. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. As always, guys, Founder Stories is about helping entrepreneurs and business owners with real life actionable advice, strategies, tips, and stories to inspire. And I'm so excited about this one because I know that there's so many restaurant owners out there and I'm sure talented chefs, but the failure rate at the moment, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the failure rate of restaurant is 80% in the first year in the UK doesn't surprise me which is to me incredible you know the failure rate of normal businesses well normal restaurant is a normal business but you know a non-restaurant business on average is 50 percent. so to have an 80 percent failure rate shows that there are lots of people out there that are talented at their craft but they're obviously getting some key things wrong hopefully they can learn from your journey today we're going to share your story but also we're going to share some lessons and the viewers or listeners can gain insight from that. I'm particularly interested actually from reading and doing a bit of research this morning and how you've been able to lead and run such a successful team. I know when I came into the restaurant, there was no, maybe this is like a good day, but there was no shouting, no swearing. Um, Everything seemed pretty calm and your team just all seemed really engaged and really happy. Yeah, I think that's for me a massive part of who I am and what I am like, I don't believe in all the shouting and bawling that you see on the TV about from chefs. And I know it still goes on in the industry as well. It's not, it's not all for TV and all for cameras. It, it does happen still, yeah. but I just don't see the need for it. Like it wouldn't be accepted in a normal, in, in a, in a normal workplace. Yeah. And yeah. not that a kitchen is in a normal workplace because that is to us, but yeah. Yeah. in a normal workplace, if someone starts bawling at you and swearing at you, you ain't gonna, you're not gonna stand for it in any way, so. And you can't enjoy it, can you? I mean, I guess that was the culture as it comes through. It's kind of like we play under nines football with yeah. my kids and it gets very serious. Yeah, even though they're only be. eight years old. I remember, I remember when I played football as a kid. And you probably got shouted at because yeah. the culture previously, I remember I was in the park training, we, we train in a, in a local park in Knoll. And I'm a very shouty coach, but always positive and always yeah. more, you know, man on or there's someone behind you or whatever it might be. And this guy just launched into the kids. It's not good enough, no. totally unacceptable. And these are eight year old kids, you know? Yeah. Don't get me wrong, like there's words get hard. Like, not that I don't, yeah, there's, no, there's no discipline. There's standards that we, yeah. we sort of stick to and the lads in the kitchen know that. Um, I say lads because I've not got no girls working for me yet. Um, you know, we're a really small team. And if you, like, if someone starts shouting a ball in, in such a small, tight-knit team, that atmosphere is there for the whole day then. And so mm. and probably the following day, like it never goes away. Yeah. So you've got a, you know, we've got a really good relationship with my team. Um, my wife's, 
she's outside the business, but she gets involved every now and again for like team days out and stuff like that. She gets involved and like we all they they all get on with her as well. So it's we are like a little family almost and like it's but there's there is boundaries still as well, which yeah. they understand that. Yeah, so there's a structure because people need to understand what's expected of them. Yeah. They need to understand what your standards and values are, uh, but you want them to enjoy their work. And I think because of the way I am, I used to say this at Hampton Manor, so I had a much bigger team at Hampton Manor. I think there was like 14 chefs. Yeah. I sort of okay, well. was over at Hampton Manor at one point. Um, they knew that because I was quite a laid back guy and I don't shout and bawl. So when yeah. something was, when I was sort of like, pissed off with something like yeah. it was yeah whereas they, if you're shouting was, all the time they just think oh he's off again yeah and they, they just knew there was something out. wrong and they yeah. knew there was, I was being serious about something so and also at Toffs the, the kitchen's completely open plan that's, that's what I was going to say yeah. one of the nicest things about the restaurant is mm. and we so when I came down we sat up at the yeah. I don't know if you call it the bar Chef's Bench, Chef's bench yeah. which is incredible because it's a really visceral experience yeah. And I think there's only one other, I don't think there are any other restaurants in Solihull that have that. There's a, there's maybe one or two in Birmingham, but it is. I think in Birmingham, it's, they've got it, but not, not to the extent that we've got it. Like you're literally no. almost in the kitchen in the with kitchen, us. Yeah. So it's, um, nobody wants to hear someone being shouting and bored at you for a customer in the restaurant. Yeah. So yeah. it's all, you know, we just nice to each other <laughs> I think well let before we get into actually the questions that I'd laid out let's stick on the team bit for a while you mentioned team days yeah do you have a structure for how you create the togetherness and the culture is it like every month we do a team day or is it based on your feeling of how the team are I think at sort of the start, when we open, I sort of said, like, we'd have a summer sort of get together, like a playtime, we're going to have a drink and some yeah, food and that. Yeah. And then we do one at summer, one in Christmas. Um, and then we just sort of arrange them, sort of quite ad hoc, really. Yeah. And sort of, um, if we get invited to wine events, sort of like through suppliers, like everyone loves loves to try a bit of wine for free. So yeah. we'll do that. We'll try and make it serious and it probably gets a bit silly afterwards. But yeah. Um, we, so we sort of enjoy them together. Um, yeah, we're always just sort of, like I said, we're, 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 we're with each other more than probably with our sort of partners and families. So it's just so a natural thing, which I think I can learn from and probably people who are listening or viewing this can learn from. I apply too much structure to my business sometimes. You know, you need a monthly catch up, a weekly one-to-one, yeah. -one, a quarterly away day and all these things. But actually, even if you're a remote team, you start to get a feel yeah. for when you're becoming disconnected. Yeah. And then it might be sooner or you might not actually need that monthly catch up because you're still a really yeah. connected team. Yeah, I think that's it. So like we was out together on Monday night at an awards ceremony. So it was like, and that was sort of around sort of only a month ago. So we did that. And then I think because we are such a small team, there's not sort of loads of management everywhere either. So it's just me really. I've got my, my restaurant manager and my, my sous chef. Yeah. And then I've only got one other chef below that so it's yeah. like we all I sort of treat them both the same anyway even though if there is something I need to speak about I go to Ben who's my sous chef but yeah. Andy's very much involved in dish development and everything as well and even like ideas to sort of move it forward and gain more customers and etc etc so that's a key element as well I think in fact you're treating everyone yeah. as an equal and involving everyone in the progression yeah. of the yeah. restaurant there obviously is a hierarchy but there's not there's that few of us it doesn't need to be sort of 
really like structured strict don't need to be yeah, really yeah. structured because there's only like four or five of us and then there's sort of like a few part-time stuff that come in and yeah. around but even as you grow i'm sure yeah. from speaking to you you'd create a culture of yeah inclusivity yeah, yeah i think like as a sort of chef you you've got i mean i've been cooking 20 years now like professionally so it's like you have all these ideas and sometimes like you do need someone who's below you to say like try a dish yeah because everything's about taste 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 with us like, yeah. always, something gets tried a new dish gets developed and we try it two or three times at least before it sort of reaches the menu normally it's very rarely you, you design a dish and it goes on like after the first attempt why is that because there's always something and generally it's because it's just a creative mind. Sometimes you're over creative and too many things go on there. Normally when yeah. a dish goes, like you've took something away before it goes on the menu yeah. because you sort of strip it back a bit. That's super interesting. It's because you can apply that to say even our business. I might design a new service or product for Grow Factor for clients mm -hmm. and put it straight out. But actually if I applied your process of it going through two or three stages of review and feedback from the whole team. Yeah. And you know, when you put out a new dish, do you informally go around and see the customer's reaction to it? Or um, do you ask for feedback? Or is I all think, of the development I think because of like, with the team? Like we said about what the style of the restaurant, we as chefs, I don't so much because I'm quite busy, so I'm still cooking me and fishing my restaurant. Like, yeah. Whereas a lot of head chefs sort of eventually come away from that and they just stand at the past plating food. And yeah. So I'm sort of, when dishes are going out, I'm sort of in the middle of it until sort of desserts are almost on the way. And then I might start going around and I'll speak to customers. Like, I don't ask specifically about dishes. I just ask no. for favourites or, and if one of them says, oh, I don't know, say the scallop dish was my favourite. If yeah, that would gone on that, yeah. I'd be like, oh, that's, that's great. That's only yeah. went on today. Or so it's a gentle so, way of getting feedback. So yeah, it's a gentle way of not specifically going straight in it sort of. What do you think of this? You want them to think that that's been on forever. So yeah, you, know, you it's, want it's confidence in the dish from them so, as well. Yeah. But when they do say it's a five each, like, oh, that's interesting because it's, it's brand new. Yeah, it's validation for you and it gives yeah. you confidence in the dish. What are your goals? So right now, previously, which we'll get into, you've been a head chef, you've maintained and acquired the, the star. You've now moved and started your own restaurant, which is in its second year, I believe. Yeah. You've got how many covers? Maxed were 28. 28 covers. What are your goals? Is it to be full at 28 and have a six month waiting list and, and be, I mean, be really premium and keep pushing up the pricing? Or is it to have a slightly larger restaurant? Do you want to, do you want to always be cooking or do you want to step away and have someone in there? Um, I think I'll always want to be cooking. Yeah. Well, I'm still 36. So. Maybe in 20 years' time, I'll take a step back. And I do think that's a big difference because I went to a restaurant recently in Birmingham. Whilst it was really good, the restaurant on the face of it from a marketing perspective is all about the, the chef, mm. but the chef wasn't there, mm. which I think there's a bit of misalignment. Mm. You know, if you go to a Gordon Ramsay restaurant, I think the Hospital Road, I'm not sure if it's still there now. That was our first experience yeah. of like a Michelin star restaurant maybe 20 years ago. Oh, we haven't been together for 20 years, actually. Maybe 15 years ago, Kieran and I went. But we knew before we went because of the the website, the press, the marketing, that uh, I've forgotten her name now, who was cooking there. But he had a female head chef there. Claire. Claire. Yeah, which we were expecting. Yeah. So there was alignment between our expectations and what happened. I think the opportunity with coming to TOFs is that people know 
that you're there yeah. and you're cooking for them. I think it's a big I, difference. I have missed a couple of services, but I'm not going to be one of these chefs that sits downstairs and say, I've never missed a service in my restaurant because there yeah. is some of them. But I think. But you have a family and you have yeah, commitments, and I it's think not. I'd say 90, 90 to 95% of the time I will be there. Like, um, So, yeah, I mean. But like I said, I'll always want to be cooking. Like that's what yeah. that's what we love to do as chefs. Like that's at first foremost as a chef, you're passionate about cooking more than probably business. But yeah. um, you need to sort of realign that. Yeah, all of the time. You need to realign that. I think when you when you are, when you have got your own restaurant. So what's your? Uh, it's a nice sort of loop backwards. What's your earliest memory of of cooking, and then uh, someone giving you positive feedback, and you getting emotional really reward from that? I always just enjoyed sort of helping my mum out cooking at home and sort of my nan was a really good cook, but I wouldn't say that's what got me into it. I just yeah. sort of enjoyed it. And then um, I think when I was growing up, food was getting on the TV quite a bit and cooking was coming on the TV. And maybe I've seen, I was, this is what I always say, I've seen maybe there's a bit of a glamorous side to it that I've mm -hmm. seen. And if you're a chef, you know there's not Yeah, there's big much, personalities. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's, there still is now, but mm. I don't, I don't know that there is as much as when they were coming through and, and that it's the personality as much as the chef. It's changed, it's evolved a lot, like everything does. The food on TV has evolved to what it was probably 20 years ago when I was growing up yeah. watching it. Um, probably longer, longer than that, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. It has changed because food's changed and TV's changed. So yeah. like everything else evolves. Um, so personalities have changed on TV. So were you cooking for family or? As I got a bit older, yeah, I cooked yeah. a little bit for family. And then I just yeah. sort of got into it. I really enjoyed it, wanted to get into it. Seen it on TV, thought it was a little bit glamorous. And then yeah. got a rude awakening when I got, got into it. <laughs> you went to college, you went to culinary school, no, you did it? No, I just did an apprenticeship through, okay. through Solihull College, strangely, which I don't think they even do it anymore. Um, Cause I wanted to get straight into work. I didn't want to carry on at school or college. Okay. Um, so I went to college one day a week, worked four days a week. Yeah. And so that was it. I loved it. Where were you working at that time? The Hilton, the Metropolitan, okay. the NEC, yeah. so the massive Hilton. I spent just over just over three, no, three and a half, four years there. Um, then I moved on to another place in Solihull, which was a good, really good place to work at the time. Yeah. Um, called The Forest in Dorwich. How did you get that opportunity to move from a sort of branded commercial hotel with pretty standardised menu to somewhere like that restaurant in in Well, in actually, going Dorage. back, when I was at the Hilton, so like 20 years ago, it was, they sort of, because it was such a unique hotel, the Hilton, the, the Metropolitan, because it's such big, they was allowed to do a little bit more of their own thing. Okay. Um, so they had three different restaurants that were all very different to any restaurant you would have walked into in, in, not in another Hilton. Yeah. Um, but then it started going more branded. So yeah. that's what I sort of changed my mind a bit of what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I always wanted to do the fine dining side of it. And I was starting to having to do like events and mass catering and I just didn't enjoy it. And what I always associate with a hotel, although it's good, is a fillet steak, chips and yeah, exactly. something on the side. And we had a good restaurant, they had a good restaurant there, um, but was only it changed to only ever being open when certain shows were on, were on at the NEC that okay. would spend money, Yeah, um, which wasn't all the time. So yeah. it was sort of like, like I want to stick. I want to carry on doing that, but yeah. I'm not going to be able to carry on doing that 24/7 here. So I went to the forest, which at the time was sort of two AA rosette level. And did you seek out that opportunity? Because this is the key thing for people: yeah. it's how do you get the opportunities? Did you 
proactively. Yeah, I sort of want. I sort of wanted to go into that. I knew I wanted to leave to get away from the mass catering and sort yeah. of go into more of the fine dining route and let's just look look for the opportunity. I didn't want to at the time. I wasn't ready to move away from home or anything. I was sort of settled. I mean, my now wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, so we've been together not since we was. Just, just before we was 18, so we've been together a long time. We so, could do another podcast at some point on how to have a successful marriage. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's hard work. But. Yeah. Well, it is. It yeah. is hard work. But, but to, to keep it going over that long term yeah. is a real achievement, for sure. And she was settled in her job. She was also, we met at the Hilton, because she's still there now. Um, she was settled in her role. And so I went to the forest and spent three years there at a really good level and then the, the opportunity happened to Monica come up so and are you these opportunities when you say an opportunity came up at the forest and an opportunity came up at the the Hampton Manor are they advertising and you're applying or are you yeah. going to them and saying here's who I am have you got an opportunity I mean at the time it was I was just looking for new work looking for work and I was like they was advertising I applied for it yeah. um, but then with Hampton Manor it was a bit more I want to come work here like, putting yourself yeah. out there yeah which is key because some people <clears throat> look at other people and say, well, why has that person progressed a lot more than I have? But most of the time they've gone out there and just put themselves out there at risk of failure. Like I had a um, one of our clients in who's a photographer, Elizabeth Hoff. She's a world famous photographer, photographs all the A-listers, the people that she knows, just unbelievable. But she started out as an apprentice, but she would literally make phone calls on a daily basis to all of these top photographers and say, look, I'll come and work for yeah. you for free and just keep getting no's for like months and months until she got the yes. And yeah. then she'd go on set and then they'd see what she could do. And then they, you know, you've got to put yourself I out there, right? That's great if you can afford to do that. I mean, not everyone has got that luxury to say, I want to go and work for free. Yeah. Um, which you get a lot in, in hospitality as well. You get a lot of chefs that will go to restaurants and oh, say, really? look, um, so some, some restaurants like, there's a restaurant in Scandinavia yeah. that's been very best in the world at the time, but I think about eighty percent of the people that work there don't work, don't get paid to work there because they know the restaurant. I guess that they'll work for free yeah. because it's a it's a process. Easy and a learning yeah. process. So it's almost like education, I guess. Yeah. Do you feel like that's uh, <clears throat> exploiting the individual and they should I, be paying them? Personally, I do. Yeah, I, I would. I would never think to run a business, my business, like that. Which I, you could, because if you if you, if you if you if people if you advertised you come and work with me, you'll get this company on the CV. You can get people for free. You can only go and do it, not get not get paid for it, but I think you have to go and do it for at least six months. You can't just go for a week. But I've done it myself and I've gone and done a, they call it a stagiaire in, in chef and it's French work. Um, you go and work there for a week and yeah. do a week there. Okay. Um, and I've done that myself, yeah. but it's only a week. Like you take, you, you take a holiday from work, you get paid for your holiday from work. Yeah. And you have a week. And that is work. an opportunity. That, that's because different. technically they could probably charge you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so it's different if it's only a week, but when you say to someone, right, if you want to come and work here for nothing, you've yeah. got to do, you've got to stick out for six months. That person's got to have, be financially stable to be able to afford to do that anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I've still got to pay for the digs. Yeah. They, got, they ain't, they ain't going to live there for free. They're going to charge them to stay there as well yeah, and yeah. eat still. So um, you've got to be in a privileged position to be able to do that as well. So it's, but I would never want to run my business like that, I don't think. But I get the feeling you're about giving opportunities to people that are talented, yeah. not necessarily people that are from privilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Okay. Yeah, I want to, I'm massively sort of taking on young people and sort of, 
building them up and so I'd always promote from within I'd never yeah. sort of look to promote as long as the person was there or knew that was there to sort of promote yeah and if they're on your standards and values you want to retain that person yeah. as long as possible right 100% yeah I think at Tofts it's easy to promote from within because there's not many of us but at Hampton Man I always I never ever I think once my sous chef left and I brought a new sous chef in because the person below him wasn't quite ready for it yeah. um, and then that sort of person ended up leaving after that but that was on their own accord they thought they was ready and I didn't think they were and we had conversations about it yeah. and um, when they left then they sort of apologised for the way they had to when they left mm. and sort of knew that, that I was you were right. acting yeah. in their best interest yeah. and they could have got progression yeah. just and now since time. he's left he's actually done very well for himself and he's sort of yeah. become head chef he's had a couple two or three head chef jobs and He's been on Gravich menu and sort of done quite well for himself. So yeah, so it was the right move yeah. for both actually, and everything happens for a reason. You know, when you then went to Hampton Manor, what do you think that you potentially do differently or you do well in order to allow you to progress? Because when you went in there, you weren't head chef, but by the end of it, Hampton Manor was a very new business at the time, and they, I think, the restaurant had been open about seven months. The hotel had been operating as an event space for about 12 to 18 months maybe. Yeah. And I went in there and said, look, I wanna, cause I'd had dinner at the restaurant with my um, then fiance. And sort of said, I'd love to sort of come and work here and be able yeah. to be part of, cause you could see it was gonna go places. Yeah. Um, I said, I'd love to come and work. And then about three months later, I thought, right, let's go and do it. And I think I applied and then I didn't start. And so that was at Christmas, I went for dinner and I spoke to him around March, April time then the position come available sort of in the summer and I went there in the summer. And what did you do when you were in there that separates you, that has allowed you to progress from a starting position into a head chef? Like outside of cooking, which doesn't give you a lot of free time, are you doing your own learning and development? You said you've been off and done courses and things like that. Yeah, so I was always reading books, always on, I mean, social media and that was massive then. And so I'd never worked in a Michelin star kitchen in my career. Yeah. Um, so I went to Hampton and the head chef there, a guy called Martin Pern was old school. He had had a Michelin star before, so he'd been through that, but he was like early fifties. So he was sort of, he'd, he'd already semi-retired and then he took on the job at Hampton Manor and sort of come out of semi-retirement, yeah. which was because Hampton Manor was becoming a beast then. Um, and I went in as a junior sous chef. So there's a sous chef above me that was at a very different level to what I wanted to be at. Yeah. She was, events thought sort of only worked in sort of mass catering events event spaces before yeah. and I always knew that sort of I was probably gonna get her job without sounding arrogant mm. um, and that happened she left about four months after I started and eventually I took on her job okay. um, and I worked really close with Martin because he was old school and I was sort of young and sort of wanted to push things as much as we could so you learned as much as you could from yeah. observing him talking to him asking him questions yeah. but presumably at that time you'd already set yourself a goal yeah I'd already set my goals I wanted to become head chef and but not necessarily at Hampton Manor like, I only wanted yeah. to be a head chef at a certain but age but in your head you wanted to be yeah. head chef by a certain age yeah. and, and then achieve certain things that so you've got this vision which is so important for people to have a vision of yeah where you might be in X period of time. I only really got that when I joined Hampton. Like I just sort of went there and I was just seeing how big it was going to be and what we yeah. could, what what they could achieve there. And that was sort of what pushed me forward. Um, and then Martin left and another head chef came in above me, which I thought I was ready for it. At the time I probably wasn't, 
but similar to what I just said about the guy yeah. who worked for me, I but I stuck it out. I think for eighteen months and worked under the other head chef, and we didn't get on at all. But like, um, we I, I was just getting married, um, and so we just brought a house and we just getting married. So I was like, I'm not ready to move jobs. It was too. I was unstable to be able to move jobs because I was just signed a mortgage, just got married. So it, wasn't so it was that- like. And at the time, it was about staying put to sort of from a private life. Financial security, yeah. yeah. So actually, it wasn't that you've said, okay, well, I don't get on with them, but I've got my vision. It's so strong. I'll put up with this. It was more... But also, the guy that was head, come in as head chef was a couple of years older than me, but had a very good CV and had worked at some really good places. So I did learn. I was still learning a lot as well. Yeah. So even if you're not getting along with people, yeah. you can still learn from them. Right? And then, yeah, basically. But then he got, he left. Um, and then I got his job after that then. And then, like I said, I'd never worked in a Michelin-style kitchen. I'd never even stepped foot as a chef in a michelin I'd had an interview at, um, at Sat Bains in Nottingham, um, but I was I never took it seriously enough. How do you raise your skill level as a chef? Is it just practical application? This is like an interesting question for me. Is it practical application or is there an element of learning that you have to go and do in the technicality of cooking or do you do all that on the job you do like, techni- technicality you learn on the job i think yeah. right? because you can't take that home and do it you can't cook how you cook in a kitchen at home because you haven't got the space you haven't got the equipment yeah um and it was about just experimenting and probably using the facilities you got at the, at, at the hotel or the restaurant because you can get anything order anything you want in and try it and within reason. You so at that point you're trying to create your own dishes as yeah. well, right? And that's what we did. So the first head chef at Hampton, I sort of, I went and I used to have ideas and he'd sort of rein me in because I was young. Yeah. Like he'd rein me in a bit and put yeah. his sort of classic sort of French touches on it. And that's why I think we work well together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of I developed my own style out of that then. And then. So it's kind of like finding a mentor is really important. Yeah, 100%, yeah. I think having someone that you sort of look up to but respect, like you respect them, but also that like, wait if they want to give you a bollocking, they let them give you a bollocking and sort of yeah. take it on the chin. Yeah, you've got that respect for them anyway, so you sort of understand why they're, why they're and they, they can see something in you, so that's why they're probably doing it. But yeah, when I got the head chef role then, and I'd, like I said, I'd never worked in a mission star kitchen within mm-hmm. two years. We had a star and it was like, that's quite unheard of, really. So it was like, um, yeah, it was massive. So Yeah, it's incredible. It's kind of like, I'm watching a program called Yellowstone at the moment. Yeah, I love Yellowstone. You've seen it, yeah. So if you're a cowboy, yeah. you understand that cowboying, that's your life. That's yeah. part of your identity. You respect mm-hmm. the people trying to teach you and guide you so much that you will allow them to get to the point where they're physically beating you. Yeah to teach you a lesson, you take it on the chin and you move forward, but it's because you know they have your best interests. I mean, you don't want to get beaten by that. Yeah, but that, like I said, we spoke at the start about the industry and I know there's some some things happening in the industry that sort of don't get talked about enough Mm. and that happens, but yeah. But like I say, um, and some people jump into being a head chef too soon. I think they can do it at a young age and I think I was, I was our 27, I think, when I got a head chef job. So that's what I Yeah. Do you think for you, as an honest answer, without trying to be humble, do you think where you've got to at that age is hard work or natural talent or both? I think it's a bit of both. And 
sort of having a support network around you that's good. So like the people at Hampton, the owners of Hampton Manor always believed in me. Yeah. Um, even though we had, went through some difficult times, like together we sort of had some disagreements and it clashed heads a few times. Um, my wife was always really supportive of me and sort of like, she sacrificed her career a little bit for me to push on in mine. Yeah. Um, and like, I'll always forever be grateful for that for her and she still does now. So mm. I mean, that's important. So having that support network behind you. Yeah. Um, but it is about self-belief and hard work as well. I think talent, talent's, in, talent's important. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with, with understanding that you have a natural ability that some people don't have. And also I think knowing that people in your team, even though they're below you, are probably better at something that you are. Yeah, 100% actually. Hire people that have the same or above your ability. Especially in a kitchen, like most head chefs don't like pastry don't want to do pastry. So if you've got someone in your team that's better at pastry than you, yeah. well, that's why you hear of pastry chefs. So I've never actually employed a pastry chef in my restaurant team because sort of my style of pastry is very different to a traditional classic pastry. So like, just like another, a, a, a well-trained chef could do it. But yeah. I think still, if you've got someone in your team that you know is better than you at doing pastry, then let them look after it. Like, yeah. how you have your ideas and your way, your vision, but, yeah. um, someone's better at something than you don't. And presumably try and hire people in your team that you yeah. think have the potential to be as good as you. Yeah, definitely. Because it's your strong team. Like with our business, people think when they come on board as a growth factor client that they want me doing the work, then they meet my team and they're like, it's okay, we don't need to talk to you anymore. Because we've realized that these guys, for what we want, which is not high level conversations about strategy at that stage, it's good quality numbers, bookkeeping, yeah. tax planning, all these things they're better and and that's what you want really mm. and you want to put out dishes I guess that you've just looked at and overseen yeah. and seen that the customers are 100% happy like, with that sometimes the lads will come up with the dishes in the kitchen and like I've not had any input on it but yeah. it fits with what we're doing so yeah. they know that if they they say I want to try this I don't know this this new cherry dessert the cherries are coming into season now like well it's got to fit they know it's got a fit brief and yeah. if it fits it work, it goes on the menu just because yeah. I haven't had any input on it. Yeah. As long as it's tasty and it's how I expect it to be and what it fits you in the store. Yeah, and if the, the customer ninety percent of the time is seeing you in the restaurant, I don't think they're concerned as to whether yeah. you've actually cooked no, the dish because no. they know that you're on it. They just assume that it's come from me anyway. Yeah. And then like but then when we do talk, I'll, I'll, I will give the lads credit. I'll say, Oh, that was that was Ben's idea, that was Andy's idea. Yeah. It's, they must love yeah, it. Must it yeah. such a buzz then. Yeah, definitely. Because they're starting they, to experience that head chef yeah, 100%. feeling without actually having the pressure and the responsibility. Did you ever think, you know, when you were offered head chef, was there any part of you that thought, I don't want it, I could just stay where I am now and not have the pressure of it? Nah, never. Yeah, I don't not think there's, there's commonality between successful people in that they, they want hardship, struggle, stress, because that drives them on, yeah. which gives them reward. I have got a couple of chefs work for me during the time at Hampton that were like that. They probably wasn't that bothered about yeah. getting to head chef. And sort of they're the ones that do sort of leave on their own accord and mm. go and float around and we'll only ever get to a certain level and but they're happy with that if that's up to them. How do you manage that though, I guess? Because if you hire the, the best team, which we've said is a, a good approach. So like I hire the best accountants. If they all want to progress to being a head chef, is that it is what it is? So people will just have a natural life cycle or do you need people in your team 
that don't want the headache of it. I think you need a bit of both. I think you do need people like that. And how do you identify, do you speak to them? How do you understand which camp they sit in? And if they're happy, this is what I've, because I'm not like that and you're not like that, right? We want our responsibilities, progression, earnings to go up every single year, growth. But some people, which, because I can't understand it, I can't relate to it. So some people will happily sit in, say, a senior accountant role and have an inflationary pay rise every year because they've, they're happy with their income. They've got a good lifestyle and they know that as costs go up, their salary goes up in line with it. But my automatic assumption was always that people will want to keep progressing, but that's not actually always the case. But how do you understand whether they are like um, By speaking to I mean, we move them around the kitchen and put them on different sections and so on, so they do develop themselves. I think if you can only do so much you can for that person as well. So if they, if you naturally see that they're happy with what position they're at or where they are in their career at the time, then, you know, that's, that's, that's fine by you. As long as they're doing their job for you, I think that's, that's fine. I had a chef that worked for me. Um, he only, he, he came to me because he was sort of in a bit of a situation. He'd left a job to go traveling with a friend and something happened to his friends, a family member of his friend while they was traveling. So he came back. So he left a good job. He was yeah. sous chef at a job. Yeah. And he came to work for me as um, like a, a chef de pie, which is like just a, section leader we call it what's it called chef de chef de pie so most is that french yeah everything's french in the kitchen so it basically means like a section leader they can run a section Um, but they should be able you should be able to go to a chef de pie right i want you to run pastry today i want you to run sauce today i want you to run lighter today they're multi-skilled yeah and he was just doing that for me and he was doing it for like that's part of nine months we used to do appraisals at hampton manor yeah i sat him down for his appraisal said look you I said, I'd love to keep you here. I said, I haven't got a, I can't promote you because I've not got a position for you. You need to move. You need to leave and move on. You told him. Yeah, I said, you need to leave and move on. I was being generally hot and nice because yeah. he was too good to be at the position yeah, he was yeah. at. I had two chefs above him, below me that were above him, and they weren't ready to move on yet. Yeah. And he was just, he was as good as them. So it was all, it was unfair. And he, in the end, he left and now he's head chef of a one star in London. So, wow. and he was, head chef when they won the so star. You so you have to have, I get, it seems not a fear of people moving, yeah. but to be able to analyze each individual's talent, where they're at and where yeah. they should be, you seem to have a really good grasp on that and do the best thing for them. Yeah. And I guess what goes around comes around. If you, if you, if people, because people will talk about that, that story he's probably told a hundred people to, and they'll trust you as an employer, right? They'll trust you to come to you and then yeah. the advice that you're giving about whether they should stay or leave or their abilities and their potential, you're having those open discussions. I hope so. so and we did that with other chefs as well a lot, but I had our one-to-one appraisals and just sort of said, where are you at and where do you want to be in the next nine months, 12 yeah. months? And some people, I guess, will come back and say, do you know what? I don't see myself being a head chef, but I'd like to be involved in everything that goes to the plate and get that feedback, but I just don't want the responsibility. And some people are a bit sort of, like the ones that we spoke about, like, who probably haven't got that sort of drive in them. They turn around to me, so in 12 months time, I'd like to be junior sous chef, but like, yeah. the only way that is going to happen is if my junior sous chef leaves. Yeah. So like- You have to manage some, their yeah, expectations. But, they don't want it, but also they don't want to be honest with you and say, I want to be sous chef, but yeah. you're not going to be sous chef here unless that person leaves. I can't yeah. create another sous chef. Yeah, yeah. Um, even if you are ready for it, unless you leave. And that's when, when they was, if they were ready for it, then I would say, look, 
I will probably sit them down again and say, look, you're ready to move on, I think. Like, not because I want to get rid of you, because I think you deserve to. And I guess, does it help you as well? Because if you ha are having these open conversations regularly, you know what people's, and they're being honest with you about yeah. their planned movements. The worst thing in a business, which I've experienced, is asking people where are they at and they're saying they're really, really happy. Yeah. And then two weeks later, they're handing in their notice because they're going somewhere else. Yeah, I think if someone wants to leave, as long as they're doing it in the right way, like, I've got no qualms. As long as they're better, and especially if they're going to better themselves. And it's an opportunity for them. Like someone said to me, I'm going to leave, but I want to go and work at, I don't know, a hotel chain or a restaurant <laughs> chain. Yeah. Like, what are you doing that for? Yeah, yeah. And if that's if their reason is money driven, then that's yeah, everyone's money driven. Like I don't any anybody says that no, I don't believe them. Like that everybody wants to earn. Like we said, just yeah, money is to freedom money. and money is lifestyle. But there's ways of going about. But there's in certain places, like especially in chain restaurants. Yes, you might get more money, but you'll plateau. Like you, you'll plateau there, and you won't yeah. get. Whereas somewhere like us, you'll develop and you'll move on to a better place and you'll get a promotion within. But I think what you're doing, it's really important actually, and a good lesson for viewers and listeners is something I only learned over the last few weeks, actually. Like with us, we don't have a real clear structure at Grow Factor. We basically have back office that do all the bookkeeping, accounting, payroll, all of that stuff. Even the year-end accounts, corporate tax returns are done either in our Indian office or in our Philippines office. Then we have the next level up, which is really senior, qualified, experienced, UK-based chartered accountants. And then we have myself and Yasser as business owners. Yeah. So in the head of someone that loves to move through levels and rungs and they yeah. can see it, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. If you're at this senior accountant level, your progression is the skills uh, and the characteristics that you have develop mm -hmm. and then your salary develops in line with it. But what we realized recently is actually you need to be really clear with people and tell them what you're expecting them to be able yeah. to show in terms of behaviors and therefore what their salary progression will be. Yeah. And if they are likely to reach a ceiling because you think, well, this person can't present, they're not comfortable on camera, they're not going to do, because the only way you can really progress past a certain point in an accounting firm, for example, is to start to retain clients yeah. and bring new clients in. Yeah. And if you can't do that sales and marketing role, you're ultimately you are going to plateau. Yeah. But kind of just having that conversation allows it in, to be honest. In as a chef as well, I think two years is a good place to start uh, to to stay somewhere when yeah. you're learning. I mean, I'll probably stay places too long personally. Yeah. And probably if I'd moved around, I might have learned more a little bit quicker. But it hasn't hampered it hasn't hampered me. So, yeah. um, but as a chef, sort of. You want to go and learn from different chefs to, and eventually you develop your own style out of working with all these different chefs. Because all, yeah. like, we're really lucky in Birmingham, like, outside, outside of London, like, we've got more Michelin stars and, than any other city. Yeah. But if you look at all the yeah, Michelin stars- It's great stars, for eating out, but it's yeah. really bad for my bank balance. <laughs> but all the restaurants in Birmingham are very, all the chefs that own them are yeah. very different in style. That's true. Yeah, yeah, so, it's true. Like you can go to, Oh, we haven't got a star yet at Toffs. We can go to Toffs. And yes, we're at a level that we believe. I love the fact you said we haven't got a star yet. Yeah. You will. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to have confidence and belief, yeah. which is another key lesson. And then you can go to Brad Carter's in Mosley, and then yeah. you can go to Penal's in Birmingham. And they're all very different. Even though they're they're put into a category of fine dining or yeah. Michelin star, they're all very different, which the general public don't quite understand that. But mm. if they ate at all three, they would see that they're all very different restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. Um 
So as a young chef, you want to go and work with all these different chefs to sort of learn from them. That's quite often the way you get promoted is going and learning. And, and then you develop your own style through yeah. that as well. But I guess it's quite a small industry as well. So for them to be honest with the chefs doesn't create a bad name for no. that person. They moved on, but it was done in the right way. Yeah. And then therefore the next restaurant is happy to take them on. Yeah. What made you leave Hampton Manor and start your own restaurant? Because you've got job security, you're seven um, years in, you're head chef, you've got a star, everything's, you know, you don't have to deal with branding, marketing, website, sales, attracting clients, paying rent, dealing with cash flow, forecasting, all of this stuff, right? It was, so the pandemic was in its height. Um, I worked all the way through the first lockdown doing, we called it Peels on Wheels, restaurants called Peels Hamterman, obviously, and we did Peels on Wheels and we delivered boxes throughout the first lockdown we were the first restaurant i think probably in the country to sort of roll out these box meals yeah. i think the first week of lockdown we sold 75 boxes so like 150 portions of and don't get me wrong i hated it and by by like father's day we did like 500 portions so we was doing more portions of food yeah during lockdown than we was what we ever do in the restaurant yeah so like we was only a 30-seat restaurant at Hampton Peel. But you can't open, so I guess you don't yes. you don't have any other choice. So it was like turning out this mass production of box meals and people were loving it. Um, but the sh as chefs, it was like horrible. It was standing there. It was like a conveyor bar, like you're packaging food and like, yeah. it was just sort of monotonous. And it kept, it was, it had a place because it kept the business relevant and yeah. kept it sort of, kept income, I mean, yeah. it kept some income. It didn't sustain Hampton Manor because there's such massive overheads being such a big building. Yeah. Um, but it kept it relevant and it kept something coming in. We went back after the first lockdown. I worked, but during the lockdown, uh, my wife was pregnant with our second daughter at the time. Then the October of 2020, we had our second daughter. Um, and then lockdown happened again over Christmas. And it got to sort of the new year. But I did a little bit. I then, I then took furlough. I'd no one, I was the only person in the business that hadn't took any time off during yeah. the lockdown. Yeah. So obviously having a second daughter, it was, my, it was a good chance for me to make up for things I didn't get with our first daughter. Because the first year when my first daughter was born, that was the year we won the star as well. So it was sort of like just that year was just sort of So what was your routine mental. like then? There wasn't one. <laughs> there wasn't one. It was yeah. just like get up. Stay there till in, late. Do night How feeds. many days a week are you working then? Well we was five we was closed two days a week the restaurant was. So okay. the hotel was operational seven days. But at that time there was a separate head chef that ran event space. So like the my first that first year when we won the star, I just had my first daughter as well. So it was just sort of like can't really remember it. Yes, yeah, so yeah. when you're not working, yeah. you're getting off doing like a long things. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you're not really recovering on the weekend because then you're yeah. doing your bit for exactly. your missus who's been doing the night yeah, shifts exactly. all week yeah. and it's then so you're weird. up all night. When the second daughter come and furlough was available, like yeah. James, the owner of Hampton, was like, do you want to take furlough? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. Like, it'd be good for me to sort of do things that I never got to do with first or whatever then he got to February 2021 was it 2021 yeah and Hamza was going through a transition anyway so they were building their new restaurant crisis saver which was built and sort of but because of the pandemic it hit they just sort of stopped the build it was it was finished the buildings were pretty much finished yeah. I think so that would be a second restaurant at Hampton Manor but it was the third because they just opened smoke which I was part of the original design process of that and opened the original concepts during the when they reopened for the after the lockdown, we did yeah. staycations. We thought at one point we was going to do this restaurant, the new restaurant. I was going to be taking over it, 
And then they sort of changed them. But during the pandemic, they changed them on how they wanted to go about the restaurant and what they yeah. wanted to do with it. So I stayed, was like, you can just stay in Peel's when we reopen and carry on doing what we're doing. But that was like, well, built myself, put that much effort into sort of planning this restaurant. Yeah. So you'd almost designed to help them yeah. your own your own concept, your own restaurant, yeah, your sort of, own it was sort got of, It was aligned with Hampton Manor's sort of like, sort of concepts and sort of yeah but did that start the idea in your head of, yeah, oh, I, I could just I think head. and I think I've always wanted I did always want my own restaurant because I was at Hampton Manor I was head chef for seven years I worked there for 11 years yeah and everything was always changing there so it was always something new and that kept me there I think yeah. because there was always something new around the corner got to that stage with our second one I was like if I'm going to go back to going to 60 70 hours a week I want to do it for myself now mm -hmm. and so we had a conversation, me and the owner had a conversation. It was sort of, that was it. We went our separate ways and sort of, it was, I couldn't really do much at the time because the, the pandemic was still around. Yeah. Um, so we just, I just had a year of planning, a year of doing a bit of freelance, um, working in, for a few different people. Luckily I got a few good contacts where I went and did some work for a few people. And then I was getting, still getting paid furlough from Hampton. So that yeah. was sort of agreement we had. Um, and then I did three months before Christmas 2021, so October to December, I got a friend who's got a restaurant over in, like a, a cafe over in Litchfield. Yeah. So I did some pop-ups there. I did three days a week there, sort of cooking my own food for three yeah. days a week for three months. Yeah. And that went down really like, I mean, ideally it would have been in solid for people to, to get to know Rob Palmer and not Rob Palmer from Hampton Manor. Yeah, I mean, that was sort of thing at Hampton. I was, People knew Hampton Manor and Peels, but they never yeah. knew Rob Palmer. Mm. So I did that in Litchfield, which is miles away from here. But like, I developed sort of running a team again away from Hampton Manor, which is different. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we're building, sort of putting the foundation in place for Toffs, finding a site, and et cetera. Pop ups presumably is, is a good experience because the overheads aren't high. There's no long term yeah. rent commitment. No. You can prove that the concept works, people like the food. Yeah. and like you said, just get into the flow of running a team, although you've yeah. done that before, yeah, but, but it it's your way, team. Yeah, it was yeah. my team. And so, well, it was actually a team that was already at this place, but they, so there was a new team to me and none of them came, yeah. with, none of them came with me. To and you talks. had to work out how to build relationships yeah. with them. So Christmas 2021 and then January, it was off, a lot all hands on deck to get open for March yeah. 22. Um, and we didn't get the keys to Tofts until sort of, I think it was the 22nd of January. What's the process? It's just out of interest for me, actually. I didn't write this down as a question, but presumably you look for locations, yeah. find somewhere that you're happy with the balance of rent payment, yeah. location, perceived footfall, ease of parking, all these little criteria things yeah. that you've got. So you find the place. Then if it's not already a restaurant, you've got to presumably cost up for equipment and well, this design and decor. This was right? literally an empty shower. So where do you get the upfront cash flow to buy the equipment, um, do the deck out? Do you take on funding for that? And yeah, I spread that over? So I was lucky my parents were in a good situation where they've got no mortgage. My dad's retired, had a decent pension from Land Rover. Yeah. Um, they're not millionaires or anything or anything like that. They've got they've just got a few quid in the bank because he had a really good retirement fund. Yeah. Um, a pension fund and so they took a mortgage out for me and I've sort of, so I'm paying them back now through that yeah. um, and then I took a couple of business loans myself and so so literally like, I had nothing capital because it was sort of off the cuff that I left Hampton it wasn't yeah. never planned so it was like 12 months of like where do we go and where do because that and it wasn't always like I'm going to go and open a restaurant so like, 
I might go and work somewhere else for a couple of years and build some up. Yeah, but, but you took that bold yeah. step, which lots of people aren't willing to do. They yeah. say they want to go and do yeah. something, but the reality is unless you've, which is impossible when you've got a young family to yeah, work exactly. as a head chef and save enough money to yeah, buy exactly. all the top equipment and do the design and fit out so a restaurant. We sort of beg, borrowed and stole to get what we got. <laughs> and we've got it now in like sort of, um, like I said, the Tofts, when we took it over, it was a completely empty shell. But we went around a few places and it wasn't just destined to be in Solihull. We did look at other places. We looked at, yeah. we looked at a place in Kenilworth that was already a little cafe, little restaurant. Yeah. Um, but I would have had to buy the lease and then it wasn't what I wanted it to be. So I'd have yeah. had to spend, probably cost me more to have done it that way. I think the location that you've got for those of you that could visit Solihull. It's a nice place to visit if you're yeah. not from Solihull and you can go and do a few things in Birmingham as well. It's developing into that top end of town that has nice little cafes, restaurants. Yeah, exactly. It has a nice look and feel to so it. So Solihull Town Centre's got like two two ends of it, hasn't it? One end's like where sort of- Subway. Subway and, and Weatherspoons and things like that. And then yeah. where we are, there's like, they're, they're, they're branded chains, but they're like, there's Coates Brasserie and Carluccio's and there's Kabu, the Japanese yeah. restaurant, which is really good. It's, it's a small chain, but it's quite a good chain. I love the sushi um, there, Yeah, it's good. It's good quality. Um, we're just around the corner from them, sort of off yeah. the high street, which is sort of what I wanted, but um, we got, we have to work hard a little bit to get people out. And we, we don't work it off. And the reason I wasn't that bothered about being on the high street, we're never going to be a walk-in, sort no, of, no, no. because... Not many people for me in. your restaurant it, it will be difficult to get the momentum going even in the first one two three years but the quality of the food means someone comes and then they come again and then yeah, they exactly. tell five people and they tell another five people and we have we've got a really it builds good, and builds we've got quite a good retention right with customers like most we go through our sort of sort of database of customers and most of them have been twice like, yeah. and we get obviously still get new customers but we've got so, probably over like we've been open just over 12 months and we've probably got 78 customers, 70, 80 people, customers that have been back twice. They and keep coming back. Yeah, they keep And you back. track that. Yeah, and we track that, yeah. That's interesting. So I always talk about a business having to attract, convert, and deliver to customers. The conversion, I don't think is relevant for a restaurant because once they've once you've attracted them, I guess the conversion is almost part of the attraction. They look on the website. If they have the budget for it, because they'll have a quick look at how much it is, then they're booking. The delivery is actually the plating up aspect of yeah. it. So it's not like a traditional business. But how did you attract customers when you first opened? How did you get people, enough people in, at least to break even and pay yourself and pay your bills? Um, I guess it must have been quite stressful. Yes. You're opening up, you've got a couple of business loans, you've got your parents on, which you feel a debt and obligation to. At the time, it was like our budget is so much for because it was full kit out, we had to keep the whole place out, it was empty. Um, social media was my main marketing tool. Okay. And then relying on my reputation of from yeah. Peels and Hampton Manor. And that's sort of why I wanted to stick around in Solihull area because it was easy to say, Rob Palmer, former head chef. And did you do a launch when you opened? Or? Yeah, we did a launch. So I, I've got a couple of friends that sort of helped with a few bits and sort yeah. of some branding and um, a website and they supported me with that. and. He's got a few really good contacts. We've got some people in to do a launch. We did We did first night was our family, and close family and friends, sort of yeah. like just to sort of test it out. And then they'll tell people about it anyway. So there's yeah, a exactly. referral process. And then the second night was um, like this launch where we launched it and we got a couple, yeah. of, we got a couple of bloggers in. Um, and then just some like 
some good people, sort of regular customers I knew from Peels that I invited along that I've got become close friends with over yeah. the years. And they come back to me more, probably come back to me more now than they did at yeah. Hampton Manor and Peels. So. Yeah. Um, and then it's just been trying to be as constant as we can on social media because yeah. I've spent so much money on magazines and newspaper articles and things like that. And I've never asked one of my customers, I said, where did you see us? And they said, I'm in such and such magazine. So I just stopped doing that. Yeah, I think it's good for credibility. But like we had Paul Foster on the podcast and he spoke about <clears throat> if you focus on the work, the press and PR will come yeah. as a result. Like you've just recently won an award. Yeah, so we was nominated for West Midlands Food and Drink Awards and we won best fine. There's loads of categories there, to be fair. And we won best fine in restaurant and then I won best chef. And that includes Birmingham, West Midlands. Yeah, Birmingham. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, th and that to me is just the start of, of the piece. And I mean, I'm not an expert, but marketing for me at high end. Yeah we spoke about this when I came down to the restaurant, is making sure that you're staying in touch with your existing 80 customers by sending them an email once a week or letting yeah. them know when the menu changes or whatever, following them on social media so they follow you back and then they're getting updates. So they're just front of mind. Yeah, Putting out social media content and that attracts new customers anyway, mostly, I guess, Instagram for restaurants but then the biggest one is is partnerships. I had to Harvey Sahota on, yeah. uh, who's the CEO founder of, well, not the founder actually, because his parents founded this business like 60 years ago. But he had a sweet shop on Soho Road in Birmingham, which he's turned into a nationwide catering company. Mm. They won loads of awards and they got contracts for say the Commonwealth Games, things like that. They've recently got loads of contracts to do nationwide rollouts of Indian food but they're providing the food and then someone else is branding it up, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know what you call that, but he's done really well anyway. And I think one of the things that he's done really well is partnerships. Yeah. So like if you find that people who come to eat at your restaurant, it either has to be a really special occasion. So they've created a yeah. budget and maybe they're on a normal salary yeah. in inverted commas, but they've created yeah. a, an ex, it's a once in a year thing. Yeah, but if you want repeat business, you need to have someone with disposable income yes, and they're affluent. So yeah. what else do affluent people do in Solihull? Will they go and buy sports cars? Yeah. Will they go to the golf club? Will yeah. they do these other things? And if you have an awareness and a partnership with these companies that also host your yeah. ideal clients and they're willing to maybe, you know, Ferrari launch a new car, and that Harvey actually did this. Yeah. They did the catering for a new Porsche model launch. Yeah. And then everyone knows about, but it's it's not that necessarily that relevant for him because those individuals are not going to go and, well, if they have a yeah. wedding, they might go and hire him because he does wedding, wedding yeah. catering. But for you, you've then instantly got 50 or 60 people who live in the Midlands, who've got the money to buy a Ferrari, That's it. who now we, know about the restaurant. We did that at Hampton Manor with Aston Martin because Aston yeah. Martin's not far from. I guess so you can learn a lot of lessons yeah. about what Hampton Manor did. So it's, all, it's it, that sort of, I've got a meeting today about sort of the next phase of sort of getting into some of these businesses because mm. I I think it's well well documented at the minute the way the, the current climate is like restaurants at the minute are sort of hard industry to be in so like I'm trying to generate them customers like new customers and yeah. like we've been in Solly all now like March last year so 14, 15 months 16 months um, and it's still frustrating when we get new customers coming and say, we didn't even know you was here. We, we, yeah. we only knew about you last month and we booked a table. Yeah. But 
that will always be like that because of where we are on the high off the high street people don't necessarily walk past us so we have to be ad- like present all the time at as many places as we can yeah and i think it'll change a lot now you've won the award because you'll end up yeah. getting press and pr you'll be in birmingham live and you'll be exactly, in yeah. all these websites that compile i can't remember the name of the website but there's one main website that does restaurant reviews and compiles all the restaurants and yeah. i look on there yeah. top 10 restaurants of 2023 well, and, this is it. and we've been on all of them already but like when we open but then not everybody sees it all the time so you just have to keep yeah because if you google them, which yeah. i did actually top because i already know about your restaurant so i looked at um, uh, and we've been once, but actually we're planning to come for Sunday lunch this weekend as well. And we'll, we'll be regular, regular customers. But I look for other restaurants um, to take Karen for her birthday. And if you look at top twen- top 10 restaurants, 2023 Midlands, you you could probably read 10 articles yeah. and you won't see Toffs yet yeah. just because it hasn't built to that level yeah, exactly. where these websites are writing about you. Yeah. When that happens... I think that's almost like a game changer yeah. of awareness. People will have heard of you yeah. because that's what people Google. Top 10 restaurants. That's it, yeah. So like I said, we're, we're, we're working on that. We're still sort of, and we'll all, we're, you'll always be working on that. Like that never stops. So. What's your biggest struggle? Or what has been your biggest struggle? I think that gaining sort of getting new customers in, especially since the turn of Christmas this year. So yeah. since. Because you're a chef, right? You're not yeah. a marketer. Exactly. I'm a chef. I'm not, not. Well, I'm not and a you can say yet. build it yeah. and they will come, yeah. but you just have to be really patient. Yeah. You've got to be patient and you've got to keep doing what we're doing because we know we know the product is, is good and what we're doing yeah. is, is amazing. Yeah. And we've just got to believe in that and just keep pushing it and then trying to market it in the right place. Yeah. What's the stuff? I haven't asked you this question. It wasn't on my list, but how would you describe the style of food and your style at Toffs? It's an easy, it's a cop-out question, but modern, cop-out answer, but modern British. Like, that's yeah. what we are, but... The core of everything we do is British produce. We'll use like a few seasonings like citrus and vinegars and soy from sort of different parts of the world because that's what modern British is, right? So, yeah. um, but the core of what we do from fish, the veg, the pro- all the protein, all the main sort of veg on the plate or garnish on the plate will be British, but then we'll use seasonings from, from around the world because... Yeah. That's modern Britain. I mean, the depth of flavour was incredible. And for me, I'm very health conscious. Mm. So I don't always love going to Michelin star restaurants because although it looks small in the yeah. taster menu, everything's very yeah. rich. Yeah. And at the end of it, because my body's not used to it, I don't feel good. Yeah. Whereas when I came for lunch, I think Paul and I ended up having seven courses. Yeah. And I felt fine. Yeah. Like I was light. It didn't feel like I had a super heavy mm. meal. But the flavour was there. So that's my favourite style is where you can eat yeah. and actually after the meal, you feel full, but you don't feel That's it. And I think that's the balance with going for it. the sort of meal that we are is you've got to, you can't just stuff, because you're doing a lot of courses. If they get yeah. to main course and they, they don't really want dessert, like you've not done very, your menu's <laughs> yeah. too big yeah, or, yeah. Or, or too heavy. So like, and I, we've got, we've got two desserts that follow main course so it's like and that sort of then should finish you off like we finish yeah, we yeah. finish with chocolate all the time yeah so that then should finish you off like yeah. you should be like oh, I don't want no more than that. I feel satisfied yeah. exactly yeah it was a good meal you've got kids right you've got two girls seven and three seven. is it the oldest is seven and the youngest is three in October how do you balance now you're running the restaurant making sure you're spending enough quality time with them but still working and developing the restaurant because it's it's a really tough balance. I find when I'm not working, 
I feel a bit guilty. When I'm not with the kids, I feel a bit guilty. Yeah. And also it's only recently I've made time for myself. Because yeah. I feel like if I'm with my friends, yeah. I'm gonna only have two friends now because <laughs> I never allocated any time for yeah. 10 years to have friends. Because in my head, I'm like, I'm either working or I'm with my family. As a chef, it's very similar about friends. Like you do sort of, I don't see anybody I went to school with anymore. Yeah. I've got not friends like that. So like yeah. all my friends are either close family or chefs or in yeah. the industry and sort of see them. Um, but to balance work and life is, is, is difficult because, you know, we're open every other Sunday lunch. So I get every other Sunday off, whatever. And then Sunday is the day that I do say to the, the team, like, I will take the odd Sunday off if we are open and it's yeah. not a really busy one, then I, I might take it off. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm flexible with that. Like, I let the lads do this. Like, I will take it in turns to have a Sunday off yeah. when we're open. And do you have days off in the week? So we're closed Monday, Tuesday. So I'm off Monday, Tuesday. But and are you working on sourcing produce, menu creation, things like that? Or do you take that time? I guess so, the kids are at school most of the so day. So Monday, my wife has off as well. Um, and then the little one's not at nursery on a Monday. But then Tuesday, the wife works and the little one's at nursery and the oldest is at school. So yeah. Tuesday's like my day off to- You can get some admin done and things yeah, like that. <laughs> basically, and try and squeeze around the golfing once a month if I can. Yeah. Um, but generally, yeah, I normally get Tuesday, my, norm, my day normally consists of getting up, going for a run. Well, doing the school run. Yeah. Because my wife starts at oh, stupid clock in the morning because she opens the gym. Do the school run, go for a run, do some admin. And do you run daily? How many times do you run a week? Four. Not, I don't do far because of time and getting back and yeah. forth, spend time with the kids in the restaurant. But on a Tuesday, I try and do like 12K. One of my questions was, what are you doing to optimize performance mentally and physically? Running is just good for both of those yeah, things. Yeah, I think I've only, I've used to do a lot, but I've only recently in the last couple of months found the time to be able to do it again yeah and i think i, I got rid of my car to do it i like sold our car to sort of yeah sort we spoke of about this it's an extreme yeah. move i walked to work i don't live too far from the restaurant yeah. so it's like three and a half k walk to work yeah so i walk to work in the morning and then run home in the afternoon yeah so the day routine when you're actually yeah. in the restaurant is you're getting a, a walk and probably yeah. your ten thousand steps and you're getting a run in being a chef you don't really find that much time to do exercise because you're yeah. in the kitchen all times if i get that that's my excuse to exercise is my walk to work and my do you eat healthily yourself or are you picking at bits pick it a lot as a chef but then you sort of try and be conscious about it and sort of again sort of the last few months is when i've sort of started to try now i've sort of balanced the restaurant as much as yeah. i can and got to where we are with it i've found time to be able to sort of take these things because yeah. the first 12 months are just like mental like probably really on it probably eight really on how even though we're chefs and we know how to cook yeah. however we want to cook healthy you still you, yeah you eat a lot of convenience food as a chef um but we do staff meal we do staff tea every night and we try and balance that uh, some some days we'll have a treat and we'll do like not dirty food like naughty yeah. food but then yeah. the rest of the time it is quite sort of balanced and healthy which helps you presumably with your focus energy yeah 100 i think feeling yeah, good having think, some time after work yeah to still have energy to talk to your missus yeah well back. she works early morning so normally when i get in the time she's already gone to bed because she's oh, up at, okay. she's up at five in the morning so how so. do you you've been married for well you've known each other for 22 years 19 years we've been together 19 this years year and we've married 10 years this year just give me a, a couple of insights to that do you yeah. have date days yeah we try and have date nights um not very often because you need yeah. to get someone to have the kids and that. But And in the week, do you have a little slot 
where you spend a bit of time together. You know, you mentioned the Monday, so but you've got the baby there with you. So well, not a baby anymore, but you've got the little one there. But we spend you. the day together and like we, you know, we, it's- With your three-year-old. Yeah, with our three-year-old. And like, she's pretty good to be fair. Like, and we do what we do and then, but that's because I work a lot, we try and base our time around the family more than just me and her. So we do we do have me a lot of time yeah. where we go out probably once a month, just me and her. Which but. is still good. I spoke to one of our friends, hopefully they're not listening to this, although they do listen to the show. They've not been, they've got um, a seven-year-old and a little one, probably three. Since the seven-year-old was born, they've not had a night away or a day date on their own without the kids. It's crazy, it's hard. Which I find is incredible. You, I think you need that time together. I think especially in modern life, like it's probably not something my parents ever did. They don't think they very, they very rarely left us when we were kids. They might have gone for one night away. Yeah. But I think today, not modern life is very different to when we was kids. Mm. Um, so I think we, it, it's good to have a night away. Like, it might only yeah. be one night, yeah, I, yeah. we've done, two nights i think twice since we've had kids um but then just even it's just a night out one of the grandparents yeah we try and have like, like a day date once a month during the week but we don't always do it we'll just try and maybe have a walk yeah good practice was when we used to do it i think we only did this for two weeks to be fair walk the dog together at the start of the week and just plan out the week while you're yeah. talking that's normally what you do as well monday yeah. monday morning yeah. we normally go for a walk with the little one and that's brilliant yeah. i want to get back to that weekly because you're talking about okay well just the practicalities yeah. of it you get that all out of the way and you know exactly what's a lot of conflict sometimes in relationships comes by one person thinks this is going to happen the other person thinks yeah. this is going to happen no one's putting effort into plan on the yeah. weekend so you end up just yeah. watching tv all weekend yeah, or doing nothing so, going to the local park over and over and we again. always try and plan have things in the diary to look forward to and we've yeah. since we've just started it again in the last sort of couple of months or so since the restaurant opened we've not yeah. really had that yeah but we always did that before when i was at hampton manor we always had something in the diary to look forward to. to work towards do you have um time to go on holiday yeah so we shut the restaurant for two weeks in the summer okay so and you go away two weeks at christmas i'm real staycation yeah basically so after this christmas i'm re-evaluating whether we shut for the whole of christmas but it's already already put it in a diary this year and books plans around it but yeah. we're gonna look at that yeah if you close you could do a long haul holiday yeah, we're yeah. going to thailand over christmas actually which will be yeah. interesting we're doing a staycation this christmas for new year um excuse me but then we're going to mallorca in end of august oh, i love have you been there before yeah we go there quite regular it's two hours on the flight it's yeah, easy I with the kids mallorca. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. But uh, you normally go back to the same place every year, but we're going somewhere different this year in Mallorca. But yeah, all around that island's good. We thought and had this idea, um, oh, this is great. We really want to have a holiday home. It'd be nice to come regularly yeah. somewhere. And I had a look at like two bedroom, three bedroom houses in Mallorca and they're like 600 grand. Yeah. It's like, that's the end of that idea. We looked at, we did the same thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've been there so often. Like, we went there every year for like, well, not every year, but I think been there about five five times the same place i think if you go to sort of alcudia yeah. and around there it's a little bit a little bit cheaper yeah, cheaper we get to calador which is probably it's like one of the more expensive they've got a the massive, premium yeah, places yeah. yeah for those of you that have not been there i'd highly recommend mallorca but it is a tax haven yeah. so you get a lot of expats yeah any tax haven and they'll push up all the prices i was in portugal recently in quinta de lago doing a football holiday with the kids 
And these houses that are around there, 10, 15, 20 million pounds. Unbelievable. It's basically um, a town that was created by an Irish billionaire. It wasn't there before. So he mapped it all out, built three golf courses. All the houses are around the golf courses. Minimum price of a house has got to be 1 million at least. Right on the beach. All the restaurants are incredible. They don't have any Michelin star restaurants, but they're all a really high yeah. premium, all their own fresh seafood, all of these things. But you're talking three, 400 quid for a meal for four yeah. with a bottle of wine. It's not a cheap holiday destination. Um, yeah, it's incredible. What, so just to get back on track and then we'll start wrapping up. We all know that the reality, well, actually we don't all know, but for those of you that are listening, you might think that the reality of a Michelin star restaurant is actually that it's a license to print money. But quite often it's the opposite because you buy the best materials possible, yeah. which means that actually your margins are a lot lower than a Nando's or a high street chain because they're buying crap materials yeah and still pricing relatively high. So how important is it, especially with having funding obligations, to keep an eye on your numbers and your cash flow and Jeez. things like that? I think because as well, like, as in a Michelin star restaurant, all that stuff, obviously we haven't got one yet, um, but it's staff, like staffing's our biggest expense, but you can't do it without a really yeah. core team that costs money and they're there. They're not, they're a skilled cook or chef, like you, like you just said at Nando's. Not saying they're not skilled, but it's a different level of skill. Yeah. Um, so that comes with a higher cost. It's not a minimum wage salary. No. And you're committing then to month yeah. on month as a cost. So you've got your outgoings on your team, you've got your outgoings on your debt obligations. And so managing your finances is yeah. important, right? So you yeah, know sure. that you, you're forecasting by your bookings like to bring I think in more than people out. think it is like a Michelin star chef or fine dining restaurants make loads of money. There's not many. Like if you're full, yes, but if you're full every night, then eventually you are going to... But even then, I mean, we obviously uh, have high-end restaurants as growth factor clients, and I would never talk about any individual restaurants' financials, definitely not on a podcast, but yeah. even to anyone else other than the client. Yeah. But I, anyone, if you think about it, can see that the margin on a Nando's where they're buying chicken... Yeah at such low cost because they've got economies of scale. They're yeah. buying so many chickens and that chicken is kept in a cage with 15 other chickens. Yeah. When you're buying meat from top quality producers that is genuinely free range yeah. and roaming around, and, it, and, and you can't just put your price up by 10X, yeah. but the material is more expensive. It's massive. And like, since I've opened Toffs, like the price of ingredients is, is just crazy. Like, yeah everything's probably gone up 30 percent at least yeah um but i can't i'm not charging 30 percent more now than well, what you can't I was. necessarily do that because so, if you go to to michelin star restaurant you're expecting to pay three four five hundred quid for a meal and then you whack 30 percent on the top no you're going to you're going to start to hit the even for what even if people afford. have got that sort of money to spend they're still not going to be they're still not going to do it yeah and i guess it's really difficult as well because i always talk about optimum pricing so if you're listening imagine like a bell curve you're watching you can just see me moving my hand the top of that bell curve yeah for any business is the optimum price which is basically if you multiply the number of customers that come into your restaurant by the price point you get the maximum money but actually it's not the highest price because you won't have enough customers it's not the lowest price because you'll have loads of customers but when you multiply the two together it's not as high 
it's this point that you have to measure. Now, if you've got like an, a, a business that sells toilet roll on Amazon, you can manipulate the price on a daily basis and you can actually calculate the top of that bell curve. But in a restaurant, it's much more gut feel. Yeah, yeah. Looking at, I guess, the number of people that visit the website and how many actually go through to book could be a data point. But if you're not at capacity, it, you've either got to drop your price or increase your yeah. marketing, one or the other. And if you get to capacity and then your wait list starts to go two months, three months, four months, then you can start pushing your price up until your wait list gets too small. That's yeah. And I think with our style of food and cooking, right, it's very seasonal. So everything, prices are different all yeah. the time. All, so your margin year can change season to season yeah. or you have to change the price. Yeah, exactly. So if I want to use beef on the menu, like, I can't put the price up just because I want to put beef on the menu because it's a set menu. Yeah. But you have to work something else somewhere else on the menu yeah. to make beef work on the menu because yeah. beef is so expensive at the minute. Even lamb, like we've got lamb on at the minute. And it's just extortionate compared to what it was. But you won't reduce your standards and go and get poorer quality lamb, no. right? You have to just make it work. Oh, we can't do that. And because we we, and we know ourselves, or if I think if we know something's not right in quality ourselves, it's, it don't sit right with us to, to send it. And yeah. we, we, we wouldn't, so. And you're not a growth factor client yet. I'll use the yet that you've got for your Michelin star. What do you do at the moment to manage your cash flow? keep an eye on your numbers um at the minute it's, it's me doing it like me and the wife doing it the wife yeah. does it quite so you a bit. sit down together yeah, sit down and together you get your spreadsheets yeah. out and you can have a look at it so it's, and we're just at the minute obviously we're like we're just being ultra cautious and sort of yeah you know we we was had x amount of stuff when we first opened because we we needed it because we was a new business new restaurant and everybody wanted to come and try and she's us. a manager right so she's got yeah, some she's, skills around managing yeah, budgets and, and things she, like she that does, she does a lot of that for for the, the okay, gym. so she can create your spreadsheet. She can predict based on bookings on yeah. the current month plus what's happened on average in the prior months. Yeah, and much. this month last year, you can start to predict what's likely to come in in terms of bookings. That's quite difficult because we was new last year. We was a lot busier than we are this so year. It's hard because to do it was based new. on last year. You have to do it based on recent months. Yeah, recent gut months. Feel. Yeah, and gut feeling. And I guess well. if you're partway through a month, how quickly are people booking up? I see and those kind of things. And then you get an idea of what's coming in. You know what's going out because you've got fixed staff costs, right? Yeah. You've got fixed obligations for your funding and she can make you like- We sort of know cash start, flow. We sort of know what covers, if we've got X amount of covers in the books for the coming month, yeah. towards the start of that month, we sort of know how many we're gonna pick up. We've got a rough of, idea for the rest, how many come in during the month, so. Yeah, by the speed at yeah. which they're booking for the month. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah, and it's really good that you work on it as a team yeah. together and had sitting down and actually having a look at the numbers. Yeah. Someone had uh, someone in yesterday for the podcast um, who has built and sold businesses, running a business now. They've got a product-based business in the health and fitness industry. And we just agreed that you're doing it, which is great. You're looking at your numbers. People that just ignore it, it's just... I don't understand how they can run their business. You have to go. Oh, if you do, if you, if you ignore it, you're going to be. You're going to run out of money. You're going to run out of money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like, and it's going to come up. It's going to be unexpected as well. You're going to be yeah. sort of in the shit then. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to see the things coming down the line, the risks and the opportunities. Because if you start building up your cash reserves and you have enough money, we always talk about having three bank accounts. One main account, which you keep three to six months worth of your fixed costs in. Ideally, you build that yeah. up. Second one, you put your tax money in it. And the third one is called a growth account. 
Like anything above the first two accounts gets dripped into the third account, almost like glasses of water. And that's a simple way to manage your cash for any business. But in the third one, once there's money in there, you can spend it. If there's no money in there, you shouldn't be going and spending on new equipment or new hires or whatever it might be. What are your keys to delivering a memorable meal? Well, if we, we just do it's what we do. Yeah, we do what we do. So sort of be really like, we're confident in what we're serving. We're confident in the products. Like, yeah. I've got 20 years of cooking experience behind me. The lads that work with me have got probably that, well, they're 24, 25. So they've got, 10 years between them, over 10 yeah. years between themselves. And sort of, we're constantly re-evaluating re what we do and sort of progressing what so we do. So quality of food would be one, right? And like, yeah, quality of what we're buying, yeah. quality of what we're, how we're serving it. And food evolves so quickly. There's things that we did last year when we opened that I wouldn't do now. So you're learning all yeah, the time. Yeah, so we're always learning. And, learning. and that's the beauty of hospitality and cooking. You know, yeah. There's always, someone else is always doing something new around the corner. We say, I think that's the same with anything. There's always a new technique or a new, not a new ingredient. You can't invent a new ingredient, but new ways of doing things. Yeah, which in business they call that strategic innovation. But uh, always looking at different ways that you can do things, or trying to look at the market. So new techniques become old techniques very quickly, and then old techniques then become new techniques again. So like, it will always cooking will always come back to fire and heat at some point. Not like, everyone now these days has got a little barbecue in the kitchen. We've got a little yeah. tiny one in the kitchen, yeah. and like. You wouldn't have seen that 10 years ago in the kitchen, but now everyone loves a barbecue. Yeah. Um, and we, we, our little barbecue in the kitchen is literally like about 30 centimetres. I remember the smell that comes off it. It's incredible, yeah. We use that for loads of stuff. Like, and five years time, we probably won't use it because it'll have gone out of fashion, but then yeah. something so else will be Staying on trend. Well. Yeah. And that's, I'm not saying you copy people, but you always take inspiration for wherever you go. And yeah. I think that's, you gotta have that, but I don't, I don't want to say I'll go to sort of a restaurant and I'll copy something, but but don't have a closed mind and yeah. think I'm the best. Be confident that you can yeah. get a staff, for example, exactly. but don't think it's my style. I just blinkers on heads down. You have to look around the world for inspiration. Because you get exactly, and we go as chefs. We all go and eat in each of his restaurants, and we see something that they did, and we're like, "Well, that's good." But I think we could do something not similar, but I think I'll take that idea of how he yeah. did that and yeah. put my technique to it or my methods to it. Yeah. and do it in our way and that's not copying that's being inspired by something I think yeah. and I think you've got to have the balls to admit that you're going to be inspired by other chefs and I'm like yeah I don't I don't copy people but you get inspiration from other restaurants yeah, and what you see online 100% I think if people say they, they don't then I don't believe them I don't believe them either I mean we were part of a mastermind um, that had eight other accountancy firms in it in the UK it was set up by a mentor of mine at that time. He set up eight groups of eight around the world based on the golf courses that he wanted to play golf. So he'd fly to the UK, he's from Australia, fly to the US, there's two groups in the US, but non-competing either industries as accountants or geographical locations, just you work together. And then every month and every quarter we'd get together, we'd make a presentation about something that was working really well in our business and we'd all learn from it. But you'd work together to grow your businesses because the market in terms of how many businesses there are for potential clients there's five and a half million businesses in the uk so you're not in competition with each other no. and if people understand that they could be a lot more successful i think it's great about the chef, all the chefs in Birmingham as well we all we're all quite close we all speak to each other on a whatsapp group or whatever oh do you yeah i could i i see i wouldn't have imagined that was true i think people's perception would be that you're yes. these uh divas who all sort of are slagging each other off behind, nice. behind each other's but back. That, this is, at the minute if 
the way the climate is, we all want to support each other. We don't want one of us to go under. So if you learn a new so, supplier, yeah, exactly. You learn a new, yeah. And like, even if like we know there's been a, if say for instance I've had a Michelin inspection, a Michelin yeah. inspector come in, I'd drop a message say Michelin in there. We've had him in for lunch. We've had him in for dinner or whatever. Yeah. And it's sort of like we're just keeping it looking out for each other. And yeah, I think that's super nice. One of the things that's been a common theme on the podcast is startup businesses, they automatically assume that other business owners won't give you the time. But yeah. successful people, the biggest thing they enjoy is helping other people yeah, and bringing yeah. them up. So if you're a startup and you were able to get into that WhatsApp group, I'm sure the other chefs would actually help that person. They'd want to. Yeah, 100%. Like, like I said, we're all quite supportive of each other. And like the, at the minute, we need people to go and eat in these restaurants. So. Yeah. And if you work together yeah. rather than against each other. Like you said, everyone's got a different style as well. There is competition, but it's friendly competition. So. And you're not on each other's doorstep. And even in Birmingham, like you got Adams is in the centre of Birmingham. Panama's is just on the outskirts of the centre of Birmingham. Yeah. Cars is in Mosley. Simpsons, Edgebaston. There's loads in Birmingham as well. We went to another one. I won't name it, but we went to another one that plays punk rock music while you eat food um, as well, which is, again, different location, different yeah. style. Exactly. And then, but they're all in different parts of, of the region. So yeah. they're not, like you said, we're not on each other's doorstep. So, no, no. Like, and they're all great restaurants for what they are, but they're all very different as well in style. And, yeah. and that's what, that's what's so good about it. We can all support. I know we had a table come in last week um, and they were recommended to us from, Another restaurant. From another restaurant. Wow, that's incredible, so. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So. And if you know that people come in and like we said, well, you don't necessarily know people's means, but if you get a feel for the fact that one of the things they like to do is have regular meals, yeah. it's good to recommend. We, we had an email last you. week of a customer that wanted a vegan menu. We don't, we don't do vegan food yeah. because yeah. we're such a small space. We can't sort of accommodate for it. Do you do vegetarian? We do vegetarian, yeah. but because we cook with butter and cheese and cream and everything, it's hard to sort of, we'd have to do separate of everything to create yeah. vegan. Um, but I know Simpsons in Birmingham do a good vegan menu. So yeah. I, I sent them back an email saying, I know Simpsons do something that you that might be interested to. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. whether they followed up or not, I don't know. But like, you know. We've had loads of advice in this podcast, tons of value that people can take from it. I always like to ask you, even if you're repeating the points that you've already mentioned, if you're speaking to an up and coming chef, what are your three keys to success? that you could share with others looking to emulate what you've achieved and fulfill their own potential? Hard work's an obvious one, so. But definitely hard work and don't don't shy away from anything. Like, always go, always do everything like 100% committed. Yeah. Um, source the best. Don't try and cut corners in, in pricing of ingredients. Like always source the best because that'll show on the final products. Yeah. Like we've, in the past, we used at uh, Hampton. We used to use a, a different standard of butcher for the event space yeah. and what we did for the restaurant, which because you can get away with it. Um, and the times that we had something off that for the restaurant, it, it was noticeable. Mm. Um, it, only small margins, but we yeah. noticed it. So yeah. we, the customer might not even notice that, but if you notice it yourself, yeah. don't be happy with it. Yeah, and if your goal is to be recognised ultimately get a star, yeah. get AA rosettes, be rewarded, these people will notice. And also, don't be afraid to ask for help either. Like if you think yeah. you need advice on something, you know, you can think you know everything about cooking. 
Like an odd joke with the joke with the two lads. I said, I've forgotten more than you know, but I'm only joking. Well, <laughs> probably have, but you know, it's um always don't be afraid to ask for someone ask yeah. for someone. Even if it's someone below you, like ask for their advice. Like yeah. I think leading getting your team to lead up is is important. And I know my two lads below me in my kitchen definitely lead up towards me. Like they yeah. sometimes say to me, Oh, why don't we do this instead of that? Like, and I think that's important. Mm. Take advice from anywhere. Like, well, not anywhere, but of people you respect, even if they are sort of below you in position in yeah. where you were. But um, was that three? That was three, yeah. Was it? There you go. And, well, you kind of gave two as part three, which is what we started with, the importance of the team, which I think is super important. How, um, is there anything that we didn't speak about that you wanted to mention? I'm not sure. I think we got plenty in about the restaurant yeah. and where we are. And Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so. Oh, this is Kieran's question which you probably get asked all the time. Uh, what's your final meal on death row? You get asked all the time. Yeah, yeah. I said, so give, when, you, give when, me a unique when, question. Like, give me a unique, but mine, she just really wants to know what, answer. what you like to eat. Yeah. Chicken and chips. Chicken and chips? A really good chicken and chips. Like, like a, a roast like a whole roast chicken. It's got okay. a whole roast. I'd eat the whole chicken. <laughs> so that chicken could really be like good. barbecued on a... Yeah, like barbecued on a spit. Some really good triple cooked chips. Any sides you go Truffle for? mayonnaise or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Also, there is some lavishness to the, the truffle. No barbecue beans, no veg, just chicken and chips. Maybe Happy some days. buttered peas on the side or something. Happy days. <laughs> and how can people get in touch with you? How do they find the restaurant? Uh, restaurant, websites, uh, www tossbyrobparma.com yeah Instagram is good to have a look at some of the Instagram tossbyrobparma my, my Instagram chef Rob Palmer. and we'll put all these in the links to the description as well thanks for coming down buddy no, thank you it's been great absolute pleasure I think for for everyone it's been so inspirational there's not this revolutionary secret to Rob's success but through hard work and applying the principles that we've been through he's been able to already and you're only part way through your career achieve uh, unbelievable levels of success if well actually it could be from anywhere in the uk i'd highly recommend if you're into your food and you enjoy a good meal visiting toffs this has been founder stories i'm your host simon kalu i'm the ceo and founder of grow factor and we'll see you in the next episode <music>